0: The National Broadcasting Company presents The Big Show.
1: Hey everyone, this is Mindy. Thanks for listening to another episode of Old Time Radio. Next up on The Big Show, we're at episode 25. This one aired April 22nd, 1951. This ended up being one of my favorite shows in terms of just how much it was making me laugh. And it's a female-driven show. There are a lot of female performers here that interact regularly throughout the 90 minutes and just have great chemistry with Cholula and with each other i thought it was just a really well paced episode and made the best use of all of their talents and so thought it was appropriate to maybe just highlight these ladies that we hear none of them are huge huge stars or became huge stars uh but you know together here they're all kind of hitting it you know a a good spot in their careers the first one probably the most famous Was Joan Davis, and she was one of those people who spanned vaudeville, film, radio, television. Her career just happened to have that that arc that so many of them did in that time frame. But she was known really for physical comedy, and she was considered one of the few female physical clowns of the time. Uh, She was tall and lanky, had a flat speaking voice, used all of that to effect. And about ten years prior to this appearance. She was in Abbott and Costello's movie, Hold That Ghost, which was a success. And then she started appearing on the Rudy Valley show on radio and just continued to build from there. So throughout the 40s, leading up to this performance in 1951, audiences know her primarily from what she's doing on radio. She has her own show. She was either co-starring or starring in her own show all the way through the 40s. And what that was able to do for her career was by the time 1951 rolls around, I Love Lucy premieres later this year in October of 1951 is a huge hit. And sponsors were like, we need more Lucy's. We need more uh, female characters that are zany and funny and physically, you know, skilled in comedy. So this was what Joan Davis was already known for. She was already doing this on radio. She's done this in film. And so she benefited from I Love Lucy's success and had her own television vehicle that cracked the top 25 the first couple of years. It aired, but after the third year, it was completely fizzled out, but still made a name for herself as one of the first uh, female television stars and a very successful radio star as well. Another performer that you'll hear is Lisa Kirk. She's primarily known as an actress and a singer. She's got where Joan was very funny and talked very flat and unaffected. Lisa Kirk was known for being very sultry, has a husky alto singing voice, but was also funny, was known for being a comedic talent as well. And she made her debut in Broadway in 1947. So a few years before this program, she starred in Allegro. And then she followed that up with a huge critical success in Kiss Me, Kate. In 1950, she's also on television. She's known possibly by the audience at this point. She was in a version of The Taming of the Shrew. And so she may not be, like, a huge star, but she's fairly recognizable at this point, I would assume, to a 1951 audience. In later years, she she continued to work up until 1990 when she died. She was in her, only her 60s when she died. But she was guest starring in, like, Bewitched, The Courtship of Betty's Father, The Ed Sullivan Show, The Dean Martin Show. And interestingly enough, she's a very attractive woman, very talented, but her only noted documented feature film experience was in the movie Gypsy. But you don't see her. She's dubbing the singing voice for Rosalind Russell's character. And that's it. There is rumors, unconfirmed rumors, quote unquote, that she did the voice for Lucille Ball in MAME. But Lucille Ball denies this and denied it because, quote, She's not dubbing my voice because no one can, unquote. So the second film credit is debatable. The first one is documented. She was the singing voice in Gypsy for Rosalind Russell. And then the third is Fran Warren. Fran Warren is one of those singers that in 1951, people probably knew who she was or knew some of her music. And it's a very, very small time frame where she had any kind of popularity or notoriety and just happens to coincide with this episode Uh, but she first became known in 1947 she had a hit called a sunday kind of love in 1948 she had a number three hit it was a duet with tony martin called i said my pajamas and put on my prayers and i read that correctly and then in 1954 was her last charted hit Uh, she performed in mame south pacific in the pajama game and also was an, an abbott and costella movie abbott and Costello meet Captain Kid and that was in 1952 so by 1952 three and four her career is really short-lived here and that just I mean that happens sometimes she kind of started to gain some traction in her career and then it just fizzled out after just a few years and just happens to be kind of riding a little bit high in her success by the time 1951 rolls around so we have her here as well so that's the trio that I wanted to highlight, I there's multiple other people here, that it, women performers we've talked about before uh, contributing to this, but a really funny show. I think these, you know, may not be big names, but they all clearly had a lot of talent and worked really well together and seemed to have a lot of fun. Tallulah seemed to have an extra pep in her Ascetic Steps in this one, which I think made it even more fun. When Tallulah's having fun, it's usually a really fun show. So from April 22nd, 1951, this is The Big Show.
2: You're about to be entertained by some of the biggest names in show business. For the next hour and 30 minutes, this program will present in person such bright stars as... Fred Allen. Joan Davis. Portland Hoffa. Judy Holliday. Dennis King. Lisa Kirk
3: Herb Shiner
2: Fran Warren Meredith Wilson And my name, darlings, is Tallulah Bankhead
0: The National Broadcasting Company presents The Big Show So
4: listen, America The curtains of America to your partner
0: stars. The Big Show, 90 minutes with the most scintillating personalities in the entertainment world. Brought to you this Sunday and every Sunday at this same time as the Sunday feature of NBC's All-Star Festival. And here is your hostess, the glamorous, unpredictable Tallulah Bankhead. Ah!
2: Well, darlings, I made it. Didn't think I would, you know. This was virus X week. Uh, Not too severe a case. My temperature was perfectly normal, 110. (laughs) But those ghastly medicines they gave me, well, not so much the medicine, the water they made me swallow with it. (laughs) wonder drugs. It's a wonder I drugged myself out of bed this morning. Well, this virus thing leaves you so weakened. When the doctor turned on that little spotlight to look into my throat, I was so weak I could hardly take a bow. (laughs) But I thought I played the whole scene rather well. (laughs) Some of my friends in the theater who came to visit me applauded spontaneously when I had a coughing spasm. (laughs) But wouldn't you know that one of my very best actress friends tried to steal the scene from me? What a conniving thing to do. In the middle of one of my most dramatic coughs, she has a baby. <laughs> but oh well, being ill has its brightest side, too. Friends come with little gifts for you. I bring you something to Lula. Oh, thank you, Joan Davis.
5: Uh, Here's a tin of chocolates.
2: Oh, you're so sweet, Joan. Thank you very much.
5: You're welcome. You'll find they're gentle and fast-acting.
2: Joan, please. (laughs) Uh, Now, uh, let's take it easy. I'm not feeling my best yet. My my throat's still somewhat hoarse. Really? Really? How can you tell? (laughs) It always happens. When I tell people I have laryngitis, I get no sympathy at all. Well, I've been sick myself since I came here
5: from Hollywood Oh, I am sorry, darling I wish you'd have told me My doctor's just
2: marvelous
5: Oh, I had a doctor He's a theatrical doctor Charges
2: $4.80 a visit (laughs) Uh, That's with amusement tax, of course
5: (laughs) Yes, and you know, I just had a wonderful nurse He bathed my brow, catered to my every wish, held
2: my hand What a wonderful nurse Sure hated to see him go Well, you don't sound as if you were very sick, Joe Now my blood pressure reached a high of 42
5: 42? You think that's something? With my blood pressure at its highest I owe him 13 points (laughs) And not only that, Tallulah, just think I have neuritis in every one of my ten fingers
2: Really? Well, I have neuritis in nine fingers and in my tenth finger, I have bursitis. And besides that, I have a cough I can feel way down in my lungs. Lungs? Who's got lungs? <laughs> and
5: here's something else. Did you know I have a silver plate in my head?
2: I have service for six. <laughs> Stop that.
5: (laughs) Five years ago, I died. (laughs) Well, I died ten years ago. Yeah, I saw you in lifeboat. not only that, but uh, that bit you were doing before about one of your friends stealing your coughing scene by having a baby. Well, I had a cold once in Kansas City, and one of my visiting friends deliberately had twins.
2: Well, two years ago, when I had my appendix removed, a girlfriend came to see me in the hospital and had triplets. Yeah? Eight years ago, when I
5: was making a picture, a picture in Hollywood, I tripped and broke my ankle, and the director's wife had to take that very minute to have quadruplets
2: 17 years ago when I was touring one of my plays in Canada a woman by the name of Papa Dion I pass I can't beat five of a time
5: is this a private clinic or can anyone get in Lisa Kirk
2: darling oh, Lisa Lisa, we were just standing here comparing ailments. How do you feel? Oh, I'm in good shape. Yes, I see. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, how do you feel? I'm fine. Oh, Lisa, you know Joan Davis, don't you? Sure, hello, Joan. Hello. Gee, I saw you in that Cole Porter show,
5: Kiss Me, Kate, and you introduced that big hit song, I'm Always True to You, Darling, After an Old
2: Fashioned. (laughs) I I, I don't think you know it But I I was quite ill this past week Oh, I'm so sorry, Tallulah Just listen to this (coughs) Bravo! That was beautiful, Tallulah Simply beautiful Oh, thank you, my dear Enough for an (laughs) encore No, for for an encore I will now run my temperature up to 110 (laughs) A measly 110 Where I come from, that's for newborn babies (laughs) Newborn babies that's an idea, ladies and gentlemen. For an encore. Not here, you
4: won't. <laughs>
2: old... <laughs> oh, Lisa, how about your song? Well, dear, I feel a song coming on. As delirious a song cue as I've ever heard. Lisa Kirk singing, I feel a song coming on. Meredith Wilson, how about some music, if you please? <laughs>
6: I remember My days of solitude When it was folly To dream When my heartbeat Was not required A great inspire but today, my dark cloud is breaking.
7: Music deep inside me is waking. I feel a song coming on and the morning. Happy and glorious
6: new stay I feel a song coming on It's a melody full of the laughter of children out after the rain You'll hear a tuneful story ringing through ya Love and glory, hallelujah yeah, and now that my troubles are gone Let those heavenly drums go on drumming Cause I feel the sun coming on oh, I feel, a wonderful I feel song. the song coming on I feel the song coming on And you
4: It's a victorious, happy and glorious tune
6: It's a melody full of the laughter of children after the rain. You'll hear a tuneful story that is ringing right through ya. Love and glory, shout hallelujah!
4: hallelujah!
6: heavenly drums go on drumming cause I feel a song
2: Lisa, darling, thank you very much. Your song made me feel much better. I think I'm ready to face life again. Tallulah, can
8: you face me for a moment?
2: I said life, but I'll settle for you, Fred Allen.
8: (laughs) Tallulah, I'm certainly glad to hear your feeling, if you'll pardon the expression, your old self again. (laughs)
2: I am a little better, Fred, but I feel a cold all the time. Oh,
8: feeling cold is nothing. Without your glasses, instead of a closet, you must have stepped into a frigid air during the <laughs> evening or something. But tell me, Tallulah, did the doctor give you any shots of penicillin? <laughs> yeah. the new ballpoint
2: penicillin. Heard of that? <laughs> well, I don't know why, Fred, but he gave me five shots a day for a
8: whole week. Well, that's the way to get to the seat of your trouble. <laughs> You know, I have had a lot of dealings with doctors. I remember when I was touring at Vaudeville. May it rest in peace. It keeps coming to life on television, though. You can't. The dance acts are beating it down with their canes again. Well, when I was touring at Vaudeville, I was playing a split week in Walla Walla. Three days in each Walla. And I developed Berry Berry. A berry in each Walla incident <laughs> And that was 20 years ago Well, I went to a doctor there in Walla Walla He came out with a divining rod And found water on my knee And uh, he gave me <laughs> I He only had a divining rod and a bonfire An old cannibal doctor Had a bonfire in the office going Well, his doctor gave me six months to live
2: Well, you certainly fooled him, didn't you, Fred, and me, too?
8: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there are two schools of thought on that, Tallulah. Last evening, a mortician beckoned to me from a doorway, but I passed him by. (laughs) Every doctor I go to these days tells me that I ought to lose a little weight around the hips. So he starts by slimming down my wallet. You know how it is when you go to a doctor He feels your purse right away Well, I have a doctor now I have a doctor now Every time I go to him, he gives me another prescription Well, what are the prescriptions
2: good for, Fred?
8: Oh, they're good for the doctor (laughs) My ulcer sent his oldest son through Harvard High blood pressure married off his daughter at the Waldorf. <laughs> and my sacroiliac sent his wife to Florida. <laughs> and now, frankly, to Lou, I am a little worried about my liver.
2: What, Fred, has it been bothering you?
8: Well, not yet. But the other day, I saw my doctor's wife at Bergdorf Goodman's browsing through the mink coat wrap. <laughs> And I do hope that she finds a short jacket she likes (laughs) Because if she doesn't, I am in for an operation
2: Well, in spite of everything you say, Fred I don't think I've ever seen you looking better What have you been doing lately? Well,
8: I'm out in the air a lot, running from doctor to doctor, you know (laughs) Well, things have been picking up for me, though As you probably know, I was in radio for 17 years Until a quiz show knocked me off And I accumulated thousands of scripts And last week, through a stroke of good fortune I received a very important offer for my old radio script Oh, that's wonderful, Fred Does that mean you're coming back to radio? Oh, no, no, this is a private enterprise I am selling confetti to small towns Who have no celebrities returning (laughs) These small towns can have the band play and throw the confetti around the streets, and that way they can have a big day and they don't even need a celebrity, you see. What a way to treat those wonderful jokes in your scripts, Fred.
2: All those scripts torn into shreds, scattered over the streets, picked up by the sanitation department, bales sold as waste, ground into pulp, and converted into paper and made into newspapers and magazines.
8: Well, that completes the cycle because that's where I got the jokes in the first place. So that... (laughs)
2: Well, some things on the printed page last forever, especially if it's written by George Bernard Shaw, one of the great wits of our time. Shaw wrote some of the most brilliant satirical comedy we have ever heard in the theatre. This past week, I was going through one of my old theatre programmes and ran across one of the most brilliant scenes Shaw ever wrote. It's in a play called The Devil's Disciple. We cabled to London for permission to do an excerpt from this fine satirical comedy, and we were fortunate to have secured the services of one of America's and England's finest actors, whose portrayal of General Burgoyne made that evening in the theatre so memorable for me. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Dennis King. (laughs) The scene, New Hampshire, the time, 1777, during the Revolutionary War, the play, The Devil's Disciple, which title refers to young Richard Dudgeon, American, known as the Devil's Disciple because of his lively disrespect for certain Puritan observances. In the play, Richard Dudgeon has been arrested by the British... mistaken for a Yankee Presbyterian minister, one Anthony Anderson... whom the British would hang as an example to rebellious colonists. As a matter of principle, however, Richard does not attempt to save himself... by revealing that he is not Anderson. As our scene opens, the Redcoats prepare to bring Richard Dudgeon to trial. Here we meet General John Burgoyne... whom Shaw describes as age 55 and very well preserved... a man of fashion, gallant, witty and aristocratically connected enough to have had opportunities of high military distinction. Here is Dennis King in his famous role of General Burgoyne.
9: The General, sir.
10: Major Swindon,
9: I presume? Yes. General Burgoyne, if I mistake not, I'm glad to have the support of your presence this morning. It is not a particularly lively
10: business hanging this poor devil of a minister? No, sir, it is not. It's making too much of the fellow to execute him. What more could you have done if he'd been an Episcopalian? Martyrdom, sir, is what these people like. It is the only way in which a man can become famous without ability. However, you have committed us to hanging him, and the sooner he's hanged, the better. We've arranged it for 12 o'clock. Nothing
9: remains to be done except to try him. Nothing except to save our own necks, perhaps? Have you heard the news from Springtown? Nothing special, sir. The latest reports
10: are satisfactory. Satisfactory, sir? Satisfactory? Well, I'm glad you take that view of them. Do
9: I understand that in your opinion... I do
10: not express my opinion. I never stooped to that habit of profane language which, unfortunately, caustens our profession. If I did, sir, perhaps I should be able to express my opinion of the news from Springtown. The news which you have apparently not heard. How soon do you get news from your supports here? In the course of a month, eh? I suppose
9: the reports have been taken to you, sir, instead of to me. Is there anything serious? Well,
10: Springtown's in the hands of the rebels. Since yesterday? Since two o'clock this morning. Perhaps we shall be in their hands before two o'clock tomorrow morning. Have you thought of that? As to that, General, the British soldier will give a good account of himself. And therefore, I suppose, sir, the British officer need not know his business. The British soldier will get him out of all his blunders with a bayonet. In future, sir, I must ask you to be a little less generous with the blood of your men and a little more generous with your own
9: brains. I'm sorry, sir, I cannot pretend to your intellectual eminence. I can only do my best and rely on the devotion of my countrymen. Uh, uh,
10: May I ask, are you writing a melodrama, Major Swindon? No, sir. Oh, what a pity, what a pity. Do you at all realize, sir, that we have nothing standing between us and our destruction, but our own bluff and the sheepishness of these colonists? They are men of the same English stock as ourselves. Six to one of us. Six to one, sir. And nearly half our troops are Hessians, Brunswickers, German dragoons, and Indians with scalping knives. These are the countrymen upon whose devotion you rely. Suppose the colonists find a leader. Suppose the news from Springtown should turn out to mean that they have already found a leader. What should we do then, eh? Our duty, sir, I presume. Quite so, quite so. Well, thank you, Major Swindon, thank you. Well, now you've settled the question, sir. Thrown a flood of light on the situation. What a comfort to me to feel that I have at my side so devoted and able an officer to support me in this emergency. I, uh... I think, sir, it will probably relieve both our feelings if we proceed to hang this dissenter without further delay. Especially as I am debarred by my principles from the customary military vent for my feelings. Bring your man in. Yes, sir. And mention to any officer you may meet that the court cannot wait any longer for him. The staff is perfectly ready, sir.
9: They've been waiting your convenience for fully half an hour. Perfectly ready, sir. Oh, so am I, so am I, so.
10: Ah, good morning, gentlemen, good morning. Sorry to disturb you, I'm sure. It's very good of you to spare us a few moments. Will you preside, sir? Oh, no, sir. I, I, I feel my own deficiencies too keenly to presume so far. If you'll kindly allow me, I will sit at the feet of Gamaliel. As you please, sir.
9: I'm only trying to do my duty under excessively trying circumstances. Who, uh,
10: who is that woman?
9: Prisoner's wife, sir. She begged me to allow her to be present, and
10: I thought... You thought it it would be a pleasure for her. Quite so, quite so, quite so. (laughs) Give the the lady a chair and make her thoroughly comfortable. Your name, sir?
11: Come, you don't mean to say you've brought me here without knowing who I am. As a
9: matter of form, sir, give me
11: your name. As a matter of form, then, my name is Anthony Anderson, Presbyterian minister in this town.
10: Indeed. Pray, Mr. Anderson... What do
11: you gentlemen believe? I shall be happy to explain. If time has allowed me, I cannot undertake to complete your conversion in less than a fortnight.
9: We are not here to discuss your views. Oh, I stand rebuke. Oh, not
11: you, I sir. Take your I, I, I... Oh, don't mention it. Don't mention it, <laughs> Major Swindon.
10: Oh, Mr. Anderson, any, uh, any political views?
11: I understand. That's just what we're here to
9: find out. Do you mean to deny that you are a rebel? I am an American, sir. What do you expect me to think of that speech, Mr. Anderson? I never expect a soldier to think, sir. Oh, that's awfully
11: good. Oh, that's. Normal. I advise you not to be insolent, sir. You can't help yourself, General. When you make up your mind to hang a man, you put yourself at a disadvantage with him.
9: Why should I be civil to you?
11: I may as well be hanged for a sheep as a lamb.
9: You have no right to assume that the court has made up its mind without a fair trial. And you'll please not address me as General. I am Major Swindon. A
11: thousand pardons. I thought I had the honor of addressing Gentlemanly Johnny. I, uh,
10: I believe I am Gentlemanly Johnny, sir, at your service. My more intimate friends call me General Burgoyne. Uh, You will, uh, you will understand, sir, I hope, since you seem to be a gentleman and a man of some spirit, in spite of your calling, that if we should have the misfortune to hang you... We shall do so as a mere matter of political necessity and military duty... without any personal ill-feeling. Oh, quite so. That makes all the difference in the world, of course. Oh, believe me, sir, you are placing us under the greatest obligation... by taking this very disagreeable business so, so thoroughly in the spirit of a gentleman. Sergeant, give Mr. Anderson a chair.
9: Now, Major Swinwick, waiting for you. You are aware, I presume, Mr. Anderson... Of your obligations as a subject of His Majesty King George III. I am aware, sir, that His
11: Majesty King George III is about to hang me because I object to Lord North's robbing me. That
10: is a treasonable speech, sir. Yes, I mean it to be. Uh, uh, Mr. Anderson, uh, don't you think that this is rather, <laughs> well, if you'll excuse the word, a vulgar line to take? Now, why should you cry out robbery because of a stamp duty and a tea duty and so forth? After all, it is the essence of your position as a gentleman that you pay with a good grace. It is not the money, General, but to be
11: swindled by a pig-headed lunatic like King George... a
9: silence a silence! Of course,
10: that, that is another point of view, isn't it? <laughs>
9: yes,
10: well, my, uh, uh, my position does not allow of my going into that, except in private. But, of course, Mr. Anderson, if you're determined to be hanged, there's nothing more to be said. An unusual taste. However... Shall we call witnesses?
9: What
11: need is there of witnesses? If the townspeople here had listened to me, you'd have found the streets barricaded. The houses loopholed and the people in arms to hold the town against you to the last man. You arrived, unfortunately, before we'd got out of the talking stage and then it was too late.
9: Well, sir, we shall teach you and your townspeople a lesson they'll not forget. Have you anything more to say? I think you might have the decency to
11: treat me as a prisoner of war and shoot me
10: like a man instead of hanging me like a dog. Now there, Mr. Anderson, you talk like a civilian, if you'll excuse my saying so. Have you any idea the average marksmanship of the army of His Majesty King George I? <laughs> now, if we, if we make you up a firing party, what will happen? Half of them will miss you. The rest will make a mess of the business and leave you to the provo marshal's pistol. Whereas, Mr. Anderson, we can hang you in a perfectly workmanlike and agreeable manner. Oh, Mr. Anderson, let me persuade you to be hanged. Thank you, General.
11: That view of the case did not occur to me before. To oblige you, I withdraw my objection to the rope. Hang me by all means. Yes, uh, will 12 o'clock suit you, Mr.
10: Anderson? I shall be at your disposal then, General. (laughs) You have my greatest admiration, sir. Well, nothing more to be said, gentlemen.
2: What a brilliant performance. Thanks first to you fine supporting players, Martin Blaine and Horace Bram. And as for you, Dennis King, come over here, darling. I want to say hello.
10: Hello, Tulula.
2: Dennis, may I say there isn't another actor in the theater today that we could have got to play that part as... Yes, Tulula. As
10: cheaply as we got you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Tulula. thank you. Uh, and you'll pardon me pointing this out, I'm sure. But so far, your writers have given me three scintillating, brilliant lines. They are Hello, Tulula, Yes, Tulula, and Thank You, Tulula. Now, do you mind, darling, if I supply a little gem of my own? Oh, of course you may, darling. Goodbye, yes. Tulula. Oh, no, you don't.
2: Come back here, Dennis. I want to talk to you. Tulula,
10: I am not going to stand here and bandy bad jokes with you about your strange singing voice about your singularly marital status or about this decadent, expressionist medium called radio for which you have forsaken the theatre.
2: But, Dennis, I haven't... I will
10: not stand here hemming and hawing over this ghoulish career you've chosen for yourself as contrasted with a theatre which gave you birth and nourished you and moulded you into an artist whose colourful character portraits even now hang in the halls of theatrical fame. But, darling, I... I, I... will not hem and haw with these few dismal lines of limp, lackluster lunaces you've handed me to read to amuse these gaping stragglers who've wandered into this radio (laughs) theatre and for free yet.
2: Are you quite finished hamming and hawing? (laughs) What I started to say to you before you began that impersonation of Arthur Treasure. Oh, no, not him! I was so taken with your performance a few moments ago, I was trying to invite you to play the summer theaters with me this season in a revival of my play, Private Lives.
10: Well, I would rather die.
2: You have been listening to this show, haven't you? And I don't see why you won't play it with me. After all, last year you were in a play as General Bugoyne. So this season you're on Broadway in a play called Billy Budd as Captain Veer. So, the way you're being demoted by this summer, you'll be just right for Private Lives. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. seems sweet, isn't it, you? Bob? <laughs> You've been listening too closely. Why won't you play with me, darling? I beg your pardon. In Private Lives. Oh, I thought that was. A little bit <laughs> Let us, please. Please, try to keep the conversation at the
10: intellectual level of this program. Very well. May I help you down, darling? Uh, Very clever.
2: About as clever as that young man in the play you just did, choosing hanging rather than shooting. Oh, you
10: would have preferred shooting.
2: Naturally. It is my fondest hope that when I reach 90, I shall be shot by a jealous wife. (laughs) You have been listening to Meredith Wilson and the Big Show Orchestra and Chorus. I'll take just a moment before we continue to say that this is NBC, the national broadcasting company.
0: Big Show. This is the National Broadcasting Company Sunday Extravaganza with the most scintillating personalities in show business. The Big Show, the Sunday night feature of NBC's All Star Festival, is brought to you by RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, first in television. By Chesterfield, the only cigarette that gives you mildness plus no unpleasant aftertaste. The cigarette that brings you Bing Crosby and Bob Hope, and by the makers of Anison for fast relief from the pain of headache, urinus, and neuralgia. The big stars in this program are Fred Allen, Joan Davis, Portland Hoffa, Judy Holliday, Dennis King, Lisa Kirk, Herb Schreiner, Fran Warren, Meredith Wilson, and his big show orchestra and chorus. And every week, your hostess, the glamorous, unpredictable Tallulah Bankhead.
2: Well, darlings, this is our 25th big show. And there are two more to go before we start a new season in the fall. And don't think I'm not looking forward to that summer vacation. I haven't quite made up my mind yet where I'm going. Several people have written in suggesting where I could go. (laughs) But in the summer, I prefer someplace cooler. (laughs) I'd like to go to a quiet place where, well, nobody's running after me for autographs, no photographers... No reporter, someplace nobody knows me <clears throat> Sounds like CBS <laughs> Well, I, I haven't picked the spot yet But I've made up my mind to go away somewhere You going alone, Tullu? Yes, I am, too.
12: So you're still single, huh? <laughs>
2: Judy, darling, this has been a very bad week for me. I was sick in bed and running a temperature. And the only reason the doctor let me out today is because I had to do this show. And I promised my doctor I wouldn't allow myself to get excited or aggravated. So, Judy, will you please lay off the single stuff so I can follow my doctor's office?
12: I'm sorry, too. <laughs>
2: That's better.
12: Is the doctor single? Oh, Judy, <laughs> I'm trying to look out for
2: your interests. Well, please don't. I'm quite happy the way I am. All I need is a little rest and a change of scene. That's why I'm planning a boat trip this summer. I may go to, uh, to England. A
12: nice Englishman
2: is nice. I might go to France.
12: The Frenchman will be nice. I might even go to
4: Tangiers.
2: Tallulah, you gonna marry a
4: tangerine? (laughs)
2: Judy, I am not taking a boat trip to get married. I'm just going for a change.
12: Well, wouldn't that be a change? (laughs) Wouldn't it be nice to have somebody to walk the deck with you and stand by the rail and hold your hand?
2: I don't expect to do much deck walking. I'll probably be violently ill the whole way over. Oh.
12: So we'll stand by the rail and hold your head (laughs) And you know what, Cholula? I got just a fella for you
2: I'm sure you have And you've probably got the wedding date set and everything It doesn't matter if I love him or not
12: So what if you don't love him? Just don't hate him (laughs) He's very nice He's five foot one inch tall
2: Five foot one? Really, Judy?
12: So we will grow on you I'll arrange for you to meet him He lives in Brooklyn Naturally
2: I wouldn't even know how to get to Brooklyn
12: We'll cross that bridge when we come to it (laughs) Or maybe your idea is better too Getting a European husband They're much more romantic They'll treat you as if you're a girl All you have to do is tell them
2: European men are not for me. American men are the best.
12: Sure, they're the best. But if American men don't look at you, then European men are the best. <laughs> oh, you love living over there, Tallulah. Maybe you'll be an Englishman. It'll be so romantic walking along the Thames River.
2: It's Thames, darling.
12: Oh, Thames? Thanks. And you and him riding in your big limousine with a chauffeur, and you say, Buckingham Palace, please, Gems.
2: It's James,
12: (laughs) Well, make up your mind.
2: They certainly are, so I'll make my ocean trip by myself.
12: You can get awful lonely on a boat by yourself.
2: Oh, I don't know. There's always the captain or the first mate.
12: Well, that's what I say. First mate and then go. Oh, I get
4: it.
0: (laughs) Here's a word from RCA Victor. Last week, the curtain went up on the 75th anniversary of the National Baseball League and the 50th anniversary of the American League. And there's no better way to celebrate than by enjoying at first hand the thrills and the clean sportsmanship of baseball today. Baseball today, it's the American way. Of course, next best thing to a seat in the stands is a seat in front of a 19-inch RCA Victor television. RCA Victor's new extra-powerful picture pickup gives you the best possible reception everywhere. You know, RCA Victor television is most in demand. But here's really important news RCA Victor 19 inch television is available. It's on display now at dealer stores. So insist on the best. Insist on seeing 19 inch million proof television by RCA Victor. When you do, you'll agree. Inch for inch, your best buy in television is RCA Victor 19 inch.
2: And while we're on the subject of RCA, this would be as good a time as any to present our next singing star, Fran Warren. Fran is one of the top recording stars of RCA, and she is going to sing her latest RCA smash record. It just so happens it's a tune which was written by our very own Meredith Wilson. It's that bright and gay new spring tune called Here Comes the Springtime. Fran, Meredith? How about getting together on it, darlings? Here comes,
7: Here comes the springtime, and there goes my heart. All my resistance is falling apart. Sweet evening breeze, go away if you please. Lilacs and smilacs and hand me. Fresh morning dew, you are soaking me through with feelings that don't understand me. After the robins, the crickets will start. Holy, totally, holy, Here comes the springtime and there goes my heart. springtime and there goes my heart Only All my resistance is falling apart Only Bluebird Brigade, you have sure got me made Pansies and violets I'm loving Panama hat, I am flat on the mat You butterflies gotta quit shy.
2: Come here, that was beautifully done. That is a bouncy tune, isn't it, Tallulah? Yes, and you know who sang it for the first time anywhere? I thought I did. You did not. Joan Davis and I happened to have introduced that tune on this very program the minute Meredith finished writing it. Why, the ink wasn't even dry yet. Oh, yes, I heard it. Messy,
7: wasn't it? (laughs)
2: What I don't understand is why nobody asked me to record these tunes After all, my recording of I'll be seeing you is a smash record Yes, I
7: smashed mine Accidentally, I trust? Oh, of course it was an accident, Lula.
2: You happen to be walking across your big oh, That's right Oh, here she is again. Lethal holiday <laughs> Judy, dear, I want you to meet Fran Warren. Fran, Judy Holiday. Hello. Hiya, Joe. Fran is a very good friend of mine, Judy. Some friend. She's such a good
12: friend of yours. Why does she stand so close to you, looking so young and pretty? Right. Why,
7: thank you very much, Miss Holiday. But I'm not really that pretty.
12: I don't think so either. <laughs> But by comparison...
2: Judy! Ah! (laughs) Fran Warren is one of our most popular singers.
12: Yeah, I heard it. Here comes the springtime. Big deal. (laughs) Come on, Meredith. Get your flu. We'll show (laughs) them. Comes this springtime and there goes my heart. hard way.
4: <laughs>
12: I remember it was in the spring because the fish were running, the brooks were running, his nose <laughs> totally hideyly. He was such a cute little fella. He had a top and he always let me spin it that first spring and in the winter he tied a string to the top, made a yo-yo out of it he was the only five-year-old kid in the neighborhood with a convertible top. <laughs> he was such a cute little fella. The next spring, he was six and I was six. Box cars. <laughs> we went swimming together that spring and he asked me what the other part of my bathing suit was for and I told him. But it wasn't until I was 15, I found out they wasn't earmuffs. <laughs>
4: Fifteen What a
12: lovely age That first pair of high heels I'll never forget the first day he wore them He was such a cute tall fella And then when we were 17, I'll never forget that spring, he smoked his first cigar. How proudly I wore the band. We was engaged, (laughs) totally heartily. When we were 18, he bought his first car, a blue sedan. And that spring we went for a drive and we drove under a low bridge. He was the first kid in the neighborhood with a convertible top. (laughs) And then came the war, greetings. Totally, hardly. I worked in a shipyard, and how handsome he was in his uniform. And then when it was over, he said we should get married on his GI unemployment insurance. But they turned him down. They said air raid wardens weren't considered veterans. Well, I didn't see him again for a couple of years until just this spring, I run into him again on the street. He was so formal. He tipped his hat. And a heavy gust of wind came along and blew off his toupee. He was still the only fellow in the neighborhood with a convertible top.
2: And now, ladies and gentlemen, here are two young men who are always in season, Bing Crosby and Bob Hope.
8: Bob, do you realize we only have one thing in common? Hardly enough for a happy marriage, is it? <laughs> What's that, Bing? Jesterfields, of course. We both like them, we both sell them. And we'd better get to sell them now. You know, folks... Better tasting Chesterfield is the only cigarette that combines for you mildness with no unpleasant aftertaste. How do you know they're mild? Well, you just make our mildness test. You buy them, open them up, and enjoy that milder aroma. Then smoke a Chesterfield. You'll know it's milder because it smokes milder. And Chesterfield leaves no unpleasant aftertaste. That fact has been confirmed by the country's first and only cigarette taste panel. So, always buy Chesterfield.
10: Let's sum it up musically. By Chesterfield, Chesterfield, the one that
8: proves its case. Yes, Chesterfields are milder, milder, plus no aftertaste.
3: Oh so ho, open a pack and give 'em a sniff. Then you'll smoke
5: them. Hey, Tallulah. Yes, Joan Davis? You
2: know, Judy and I have been talking about your problem. Now look, Joan, don't you start that too? We were talking about spring, let's stick to that subject Yeah, but I hate spring All it means to me is spring cleaning You know, I had a six-room
5: apartment in Hollywood And every year comes spring So one year I cleaned up all the stuff that accumulated And shoved it into the library and locked it up and the next year there wasn't any room left in the library So I shoved it all in the living room and locked it up And I've been doing it for five years I now have the cutest little one room apartment you ever saw. The tile is just spotless. Well, I really went down the
2: drain.
4: I <laughs> should've taken the plunge. <laughs>
2: Well, maybe we'd get it back, better get back to the other subjects You know, it's starting to sink anyway it <laughs> You know,
5: uh, Judy and I think that there must be something wrong with your technique uh, Because you've got everything a man would want
2: I have, darling? Oh, sure uh-huh.
5: Yeah uh, You got money <laughs> And, um uh, you got, uh... Uh, don't rush me now I'll take it <laughs> You've got uh, Give me time here now
2: I... Well, they say I'm uh, loaded with glamour Oh, sure, you're loaded <laughs> you got money <laughs> uh, Joan, money isn't everything There was a proverb I learned when I was a child Money is the root of all evil I knew it backwards
5: Yes, and evil spelled backwards is
2: live <laughs> So live a little Spend your money already <laughs> Spend money I'll have you know, Joan This gown cost me
5: $750 $750 Boy, you should cut down on your gowns And if you cut your gowns down far enough You could get yourself a man. Then
2: he'd pay for them, see? I spend my own money. I spent $13,000 on a mink coat. I bought a house in the country for $49,000. It was on sale. And I just bought a town car for
12: $8,000. All that money she can spend but 10 cents to call up a fella she can't afford.
2: Judy, I never phone a man.
12: How you like that, Joe? She never phones a man.
5: Yeah. A salmon swims all the way upstream to find a mate and she won't walk across
2: the street to phone a man. Oh, I am not interested in meeting a salmon.
12: So there were other fish in
2: the sea. Oh, all right, I give up. How long can I fight this? Don't fight it, Tallulah. It's bigger than both of us. All right, Joan, now what do you want me to do?
5: Well, we're going to show you how to call up and make a date with a man. You're going to show me?
2: Why do I have to do this? Don't fight it, Tallulah. Well, what about my ego? It's bigger than both of us.
5: <laughs> Look, uh, we'll call up somebody, anybody. We'll pick a number out of a hat. Uh, Stetson, five, four, two, six, and seven eighths. That's a good one. I'll call him. Now watch the way I handle this, Tallulah. You got to be aggressive. Don't take no for an answer. Watch this. Hello. Hello, Fred, this is Joan. What are you doing tonight? Come on over and I'll cook dinner, roast beef.
8: Uh, No, Joan, I'm sorry, but I'm busy tonight. Well, how about Saturday night? No, no, I can't make it Saturday.
5: A week from Saturday?
8: Look, Joan, I am going to be out of town for a couple of months. I won't be back until July 15th. That's a date.
5: (laughs) And don't forget it now, I've already got the roast beef in the oven.
8: You put the roast beef on now for July 15th?
5: It'll be all right. It's on a low flame.
8: (laughs) I hope you like it rare. Look, Joan, I have to read these straight lines, but I don't have to eat your cooking.
5: Well, then how about taking me to dinner tonight?
8: I have a dinner date.
5: Well, how about later and we'll go to a movie?
8: Uh, I'll be busy.
5: How about nightclub?
8: I told you I'm going to be busy.
5: Well, let me put it this way. How about coming over to my house and we'll neck?
8: I'll be right over
5: (laughs) You see, simple? I mean, you see, simple
4: (laughs) I
12: do it another way Watch me, Tallulah The thing to do is confuse him I'll call up the same guy Watch how I mix him up Hello? Who is this calling, please? (laughs)
8: What do you mean, who is this calling? You called me.
12: You must have the wrong number. Is this Stetson 5, 4, 2, 6, and 7, 8?
8: Yes.
12: Then you have the right number. Who is
4: this?
8: This is Fred Allen.
12: Fred Allen? Hello, Fred. This is Judy Holliday. I was just thinking about you.
8: Well, just thinking about me, you just called me.
12: Well, that's how I happen to be thinking about you. Now, about our date for Friday night.
8: We have a date for Friday night?
12: Well, okay, it's nice of you to ask. (laughs) Where will I meet you?
8: Now look, Judy, I can't make any dates.
12: Oh, well, let me put it this way. How about coming over to my house and we'll neck?
8: That's a date I'll be right over.
2: You see, Tallulah, that's the way to do it Go ahead, try it Oh, very well, but I think you two waste too much time Get to the point All right, get to the phone Hey, for luck, dial with the fourth finger of your left hand
10: Dum-dum-da-dum, dum-dum-da-dum
2: Hello? Oh, hello, this is Tallulah How about coming over to the house and necking?
4: (laughs)
6: I
2: beg your pardon? Who is this? This is Mrs. Fred Allen. You see, that always happens to me.
0: Every day you hear more and more about an incredibly fast way to relieve the pains of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia. It's Anacin. A-N-A-C-I-N. Now, the reason Anacin is so wonderfully fast-acting and effective is this. Anacin is like a doctor's prescription. That is, Anacin contains not just one, but a combination of medically proven active ingredients in easy-to-take tablet form. Thousands of people have received envelopes containing Anacin tablets from their own dentist or physician, and in this way discovered the incredibly fast relief Anacin brings from pains of headache, neuritis, or neuralgia. So the next time a headache strikes, take Anacin, A-N-A-C-I-N. Anacin in handy boxes of 12 and 30, economical, family-sized bottles of 50 and 100. Ask for Anacin at any drug counter.
2: Here is Meredith Wilson with the Big Show Orchestra and Chorus playing John Scott Trotter's lovely new tune, Any Town Is Paris When You're Young. Meredith, darling, if you please...
4: Any town is Paris when you're young In every sky a lover's moon. Where you'll never leave And the gypsy spell of spring Is yours to weave. All the world is magic When you're young Every song's the
7: sweetest ever song
4: Every street's a lover's lane Where wishing stars are strung. Yes, any town is Paris when you're young. A lovers' lane, where wishing stars are strong. Yes, anytime.
2: darlings, we have more show for you, but we'll take just a moment out here first to let Ed Hurley say...
0: This portion of the program has been brought to you by RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, first in television. By Chesterfield, the only cigarette that gives you mildness, plus no unpleasant aftertaste. The best cigarette for you to smoke. And by the makers of Anacin, for fast relief from the pain of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia. And now, to Lula, if you'll ring your child.
2: Gladly, Ed. This, darlings, is NBC, the national broadcasting company.
0: This is the Big Show, and Tallulah Bankhead is about to introduce her next guest.
2: Now, to make the Big Show a complete ball of fun, here's that long, tall fella, the small town tales, the homespun hoosier who just mows it in. Here's
3: Herb Schreiner. (laughs) Well, Miss Bank, yet after that big send-off you just gave me there, I can't hardly wait to hear what I got to say. <laughs> Actually, I didn't mosey over, though. Uh, I tell you the truth, I come in a taxi cab, which is, uh... Well, I didn't figure on doing that. Uh, I'd never do that. I had to this time, though. Oh, well,
2: well, you were afraid you were going to be late, you mean, huh?
3: Well, you see, the wind blew my hat into the cab, and before I could get out of there, the meter was up to half a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> figure I'd go along with it. <laughs> But, uh, you know, this is one place where the taxi meters seem to go faster than the cabs do.
2: Well, I guess you find it costs quite a bit to do this town.
3: Well, it's a pretty big town, I'll tell you that. I know what costs so much, uh, mostly, is these tips. I mean, you get, or uh, well, you take the, over to the hotel where I'm staying. They got a fellow out in front there, the doorman, and he's got a kind of a good deal there. He gets between you and something he's going to do anyways, and then he charges you for it. <laughs> he got me this afternoon pretty good, uh... Charged me a quarter just to open the door I wasn't even going out (laughs) Wasn't like that around home, I tell you
2: Which reminds me, Herb The last time you were here You told us some fascinating things About your hometown in Indiana Are you really from Indiana?
3: Yep, me and all my folks are from Indiana Except my grandfather He was born over in Ohio But he moved to Indiana as soon as he heard about it
2: (laughs) Well, what town are you from down there? I I may have played it when I was on tour sometime
3: Well, I don't think so. It's not the kind of town that anybody would ever stop off in. I mean, unless they got on the wrong road or something, they wouldn't... uh... Well, actually, you see, what they'd usually do is just roll their windows up and keep going. It's that kind of a town. I doubt if you ever played it, Miss Bankhead. We didn't get any shows. We didn't get uh, plays or operas or... uh... Well, actually, we didn't get nothing. But there's enough of it to go around. We all got in on it anyways.
2: Well, that way, I guess nobody felt left out. What what do you suppose was holding the town back?
3: Well, I think the trouble was we didn't have enough get up and go. Actually, you'd get up, and then there wasn't any place to go anyways. (laughs) So we just kind of lay there.
2: (laughs) Oh, I think I'm beginning to get a picture of it. I've been through a lot of those towns. I can see the little four corners, a bank on one corner, a barber shop on the other, a statue in the middle of the square...
3: Mm, it ain't quite that big. I tell you, we didn't have any bank out there. Actually, we didn't need one either. If anybody would uh, anybody'd save up any money, they'd use it to get out of town. <laughs> but in uh, a barber shop wasn't what you thought it was either. Actually, we had a fellow that uh, run the barber shop. Uh, well, he wasn't even a barber. He was, uh, you'd never know it unless he cut your hair, of course. So a lot of us didn't ever uh, think much about it. He was a chicken farmer. And... Uh, He'd give you a haircut, all right. He'd uh, dip your head in a bucket of hot water, and then he'd just kind of rip the hair out. (laughs) Of course, uh, nobody ever said anything about it. He only charged a dime. (laughs) But, uh, you know, you spoke about the statue. Uh, We didn't even have a statue around there. That's the thing that used to make me feel so bad. Uh, We had a blank spot right in the center of town there where we was uh, figuring on putting one up. But uh, you know, not having a statue, you couldn't even keep pigeons around there. So <laughs> it was a mess. So what we thought we'd do, uh, we were going to uh, we were going to put a statue up for a local fellow that had gone off and got famous, and uh, then he never came back, so we could find out who he was. <laughs> And the trouble was, he left us sort of uh, hung up there. We'd already bought the cement, you know, and uh, we had uh, piled it up in the center of town. It got to blowing around there in everybody's eyes. So uh, we started cussing him out then, you know. His, uh, well, he couldn't come back now if he wanted to. People got so peeved at him there, and, and uh, he, I think he went from a hero to a bum. It was just a shame, too. Well, we had the cement. We thought we'd better do something. We was going to use a local fella. We wanted to get another hero. We was uh, short on them, on home. <laughs> we, uh, we could have used the one from out of town, but uh, we didn't want to do that. We'd have him coming in there on the bum.
4: <laughs>
3: so uh, we was going to use this local fella. He was a very heroic fella. He's kind of a part-time hero. He had lots on the—I on the, uh, mean, he was actually uh, pretty heroic. The only trouble was that uh, he weighed about 300 pounds. Is very heavy set, and uh, we didn't have that much cement.
4: <laughs> so
3: uh, we, we didn't know what to do with the thing there. We, we, uh, we had already, uh, actually, we decided to look for another hero, but this fellow is about the only one we had that could pass for a hero, and he had actually done, deserved it. I mean, I think that, uh, well, you'd probably say, why put that fellow up for a statue? Well, it's a good question, and uh, I'm kind of glad you asked, because I tell you what he did. He... Uh, he had a kind of a, well, actually, he was a very nice fellow as far as uh, being a hero. He had done two or three different things there. He was, uh, he was likable, for one thing. I mean, he, uh, and he was kind of eccentric, too. I mean, he was, uh, well, he was drunk is what he was. Uh, but uh, i tell you, what, what happened was that uh, he would drink, and even though he had drink he would get uh, likable with it. I mean, he is one of these fellows. the more he'd drink, the more likable he'd get. And uh, I never forget this one night. Uh, he was so likable, he couldn't even stand up. And I never forget <laughs> it. it uh, in fact, uh, that was the night, that was the night that he did this heroic deed I was about to mention. Uh, you see, we had a big fire that night. It was uh, over at the firehouse. I never forget that either. <laughs> the... Uh, firehouse had caught fire, and it was a—it uh, kind of a shame. The fireman was given this big party that night, too. It was always uh, oh, a swell party. It was a benefit, and the proceeds was to go for a very worthy cause. I remember that. I think they was going to use the money to buy liquor for the next party.
4: And, uh,
3: it was, uh, oh, and also they were celebrating this new brass pole. They had just got a brass pole uh, put up in the middle of the firehouse right there in the center where a fella could, uh, well, he'd be laying in bed up there, for example. He could jump out of bed, grab that pole, and slide right down to the card table.
4: <laughs>
3: and uh, uh, it's possible. It's <laughs>
4: possible.
3: Uh, I don't know what happened but while they was doing the celebrating this fire got kind of out of hand there and uh, this fellow made a hero out of himself he rushed into that burning firehouse and rescued the liquor (laughs) and uh, two girls that they had pouring for them (laughs) and uh, well that put him over that put him over and actually he got all the credit and the firemen didn't even get a thank you for their work it was a shame and i actually think they deserved an awful lot of credit if it hadn't been for them i think the whole thing would have burnt down in about 20 minutes they kept it going putting here all night there it was uh, that made that fellow a hero, and you know he was never the same after that. He started kind of getting swell headed there, like you know, and he was drinking more and more, of course. And uh, he had already drunk quite a bit, but now he was uh, even buying some. <laughs> and uh, what uh, what he did, he 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 got himself, he quit his job, and uh, he was uh, oh, I don't know they named a sheep dip after him, you know, and everything. And, uh, I think that. Uh, that made him feel like he had gone to the top of the heap or something. I don't know. Just, uh, he got swell-headed, and he raised a mustache, too. And uh, actually, it looked, uh, we got kind of worried, all of us, at knew him. We, we thought we was a little bit worried for Ferry might turn out to be a bum. And his folks was worried, too. Uh, so they got him into politics where he wouldn't be noticed. <laughs> You know, uh, I tell you, you've never seen a more honest politician that fella. He just seemed to take to that like a, uh, a duck to the water. And, and on top of it, he was just as honest as could be, too. He'd, uh, I mean, if he'd get bought off, he'd stay bought. He wasn't shifty or anything. <laughs> Well, he did He did a couple of things. It don't sound like he did anything, but, you know, he got in there. He got to be mayor, and uh, we'd had a, kind of a little trouble around town there. We had, uh, well, we wanted a paved highway. We'd been after that for quite a while. He built it, and uh, it was a beautiful road. I mean, I got to say that in all credit to him. It ran the full length of his property, and I believe... <laughs> Actually, he did a couple of things. There was—he uh, did one other thing too. We never got any tourists. Uh, like I was telling Miss Bankhead, nobody ever stopped off there. And uh, he fixed that. He reduced the speed limit to zero, and then he passed <laughs> the law against backing up. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of backing up, I've kind of got myself here to where I've got to back off and kind of simmer down. But uh, I know that kind of gives you an idea of what it was like. Ain't that right? <laughs>
2: Oh, <laughs> Donna, darling, you're simply divine and hilarious. I know the folks you're entertaining at the Capri Plaza in Boston feel the same way. And now Meredith has one of his famous chiffon arrangements ready for us. The number, Reflections in the Water. Meredith, darling, if you please. <laughs> That was usable chiffon and quite divine, darling. And while I'm at it, Meredith, I do want to thank you so very much for that wonderful story you wrote about me in this month's TV screen magazine.
8: Oh, Tallulah. Oh, yes, Fred. As I sat here dozing through the second act of your modest little charade, I had a bad dream and it involved you. Would you care to hear about it?
2: Not particularly, you no.
8: Well, not... as a matter of fact, I'm not particularly anxious to tell it, but if I don't... Something tells me Phil Harris will come on the air Five minutes earlier tonight (laughs) I think the dream was brought on By something I heard Earlier in the show this evening Because Judy and Joan Were trying to get you married off You know that part? I think that's what prompted The whole thing Because in my dream You were married to Dennis King
2: I'd rather die
8: (laughs) Promises, promises All evening you've been promising (laughs) My dream was like one of those daytime radio serials. As the curtain went up, it was an actor's wedding. You were being married at the little Lowe's Delancey Theater around the corner. <laughs> you and Dennis were coming down the aisle. Now, there was no choir, and your two bridesmaids, Fran Warren and Lisa Kirk, were singing the wedding mark.
6: God to Broadway, remember me to Harold
10: Square.
8: <laughs> Do you, Dennis King, take this woman to be your awful wedded wife?
10: Oh, excuse me, sir.
8: Yes, Mr. King, what is it? Oh, yes, 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 of course. I beg your pardon, Mr. King. Do you, Dennis King, star of Billy Budd, now playing at the Biltmore <laughs> Theater on West 47th Street? Matinees Wednesday and Saturday. <laughs> do you take this woman to be your awful wedded wife. To do or not to do? That is the question. What is the answer? To do. And do you, Tallulah Brockman Bankhead?
2: <laughs> of course I do. Naturally I do. Why do you think I got all dressed up in these white slacks? <laughs> I do. Do you hear me? I do.
8: Uh, I now pronounce you man and wife.
2: Uh, Would you mind making that wife and man?
6: (laughs) I'll be uh, seeing you in all the old familiar places.
8: And so Dennis brought Tallulah to their little honeymoon cottage. Well, here we are, my dear. After you, Tallulah.
10: Easy does it. That's it. Now you can put me down.
2: Hello. Good heavens, who is this child? Oh,
10: this is my surprise for you, Tallulah. This is our little girl. Our little girl? Yes, I wanted to save you the bother, so I ordered her from room service. (laughs) Come here, child. Say hello to your mother and father.
6: Hello, Daddy. Daddy. Hello, Mommy.
10: I'm your mommy. He's your daddy.
6: (laughs) (laughs) You're just trying to make me neurotic.
8: Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to make an announcement at this time. Although Portland is their child, be it known to all creditors, I do not consider either Mr. King or Miss Bankhead my father-in-law or my (laughs) mother-in-law. Now, back to the plot. We may have something going here bigger than just plain Bill. How do you do? And who are you?
12: I'm the governess for the little girl. <laughs> oh, but we
10: uh, we wanted a couple—a governess and a chauffeur. Now, if you're the governess, what is your husband?
2: He's the governor. That's what. <laughs> All right, governess, you can put the child to bed now. Okay, come on, kid. I don't want to. I want to watch television. Television, how dare you? Take her out and wash her mouth with soap and water.
12: (laughs) Honest, I don't know where she picked up that dirty (laughs) (laughs) way.
8: Well, as we look in on Dennis and Tallulah again, it is now 13 weeks later and they have decided to pick up each other's options for another 13 weeks.
2: Dennis, darling, this is our very first anniversary. We're having guests for dinner. I've invited Joan Davis and her new husband.
10: Joan Davis? Oh, no, Tallulah. But why? Why? Do you know her? Well, not very well. I, I, I think I was married to her once. Well, darling, who wasn't?
2: I want you to, I want you to meet... Um, oh, oh, that's you,
5: dear. Hello, Joan. Oh, Tallulah, how are you? I want you to meet my new husband, Herb Schreiner. Uh, How do you do, uh, Mr. Schreiner? Uh, Hello.
2: (laughs) I understand you just got back from your honeymoon, Joan. Oh, yes, we just came back from Europe on the Normandy. The Normandy, my dear, the Normandy was destroyed by fire at the pier here in New York several years ago. Yeah? No wonder the toast was so (laughs) burned.
12: I'm the governess. You want the kid to sing her song now?
2: Oh, this is our little girl's governess and she's taught the child a song. I want you to hear it. Uh, oh yes, bring her in now, Judy.
12: Well, first, I got to introduce her. Give the little kid a big hand. <laughs> Not in, the- <laughs> Not
4: in <the>
12: mouth! <laughs> sing your song, kid. Sing the song I learned you this morning about the white wings.
8: At this point, I must interrupt to explain that I have the only banjo in town that can accompany this child's voice. Now, when my banjo starts, ladies and gentlemen, do not let it fool you. It's only a banjo, but it sounds like a symphony orchestra. Listen. Listen. <laughs>
6: Spread out my white wings And sail home to thee
10: Say, that kid's really nothing, isn't she? (laughs) Uh, Tell me, Mr. Schreiner, what
3: what business are you in? Well, originally, uh, I mean, that back home in Indiana, that is, uh, I used to be a window trimmer in a feed store. In a feed store? Well, how do you trim a feed store window? Well, it was kind of an easy job. I just uh, put some clean flypaper in there, and that's about it. (laughs) Sometimes we wash the cat and put him back in there, too.
5: Isn't he clever? Then he went to the general store. Tell him, Herb.
3: Well, that was kind of an easy job, too, actually. I... uh, I'd go over there on Saturday morning, and I'd kind of dust off the penny candy, you know. And uh, and then the uh, fellow that had the store was getting a lot of uh, crackers stole out of the cracker barrel, so he got peeved, and he put a snapping turtle in there. So uh, Saturdays, I'd go over there and walk the turtle. (laughs) Storekeeper was a bug on cleanliness. Well, what business are you in now? Well, it's something I've been working on back around home, and... uh, well, it's a self-service funeral parlor
4: <laughs> uh,
3: I don't know, it just never caught on I don't know if the... Uh, I don't think the town is ready for it Oh, well, they're ready
5: for it, they just don't know it that's
8: <laughs> Well, that was life at the Mr. and Mrs. Dennis King's And now we pick them up 13 weeks later And another option is coming up
2: Where were you last night? What time did you get in? Were you out with that Joan Davis or is it Judy... Why didn't you show up here for dinner? Why do you think I am? What do you think I am? Where were you? Why don't you answer me?
8: Goodbye, we're through. (laughs) And once again, a 13-week option was not picked up because of a quiz show.
2: (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, from the great heart of the American poet Walt Whitman, comes an eloquently prideful expression of love for America, an expression which is certainly as timely today as it was many years ago when he wrote it. And thou, America, thy offspring towering ever so high, yet how are thee above all towering, with victory on thy left and at thy right hand law. Thou union holding all, fusing, absorbing, tolerating all. Thee, ever thee, I sing. Thou also, thou a world, with all thy wide geographies manifold different, distant, rounded by thee in one, one common orbit language, one common, indivisible destiny for all. And by the spells which ye vouchsafe, to those your ministers in earnest, I here personify and call thy themes to make them pass before ye. Behold America, and thou, ineffable guest and sister. For thee come, trooping up thy waters and thy lands. Behold thy fields and farms, thy far-off woods and mountains as in procession coming. Behold the sea itself, and on its limitless, heaving breast the ships. See where their white sails bellowing in the wind speckle the green and blue. See the streamers coming and going, steaming in and out of port. See dusky and undulating the long pennants of smoke. Behold, in Oregon, far in the north and west, or in Maine, far in the north and east, thy cheerful axemen wielding all day their axes. Behold on the lakes, thy pilots at their wheels, thy oarsmen, how the ash rise under those muscular arms. There by the furnace and there by the anvil. Behold, thy sturdy blacksmiths swinging their sledges, overhand so steady, overhand they turn and fall with joyous clank like a tumult of laughter. Mark the spirit of invention everywhere, thy rapid patents, thy continual workshops, foundries risen or rising. See from their chimneys how the tall flame fires stream. Mark thine terminable farms north, south, thy wealthy daughter-states, eastern and western, the varied products of Ohio, Pennsylvania, Missouri, Georgia, Texas, and the rest, thy limitless crops, grass, wheat, sugar, oil, corn, rice, hemp, hops, thy barns all filled, the endless freight train and the bulging storehouse the grapes that ripen on thy vines, the apples in the orchards, the incalculable lumber, beef, pork, potatoes, thy coal, thy gold and silver, the inexhaustible iron in thy mines. All thine, O sacred union ships, farms, shops, barns, factories, mines, city and state. North, South, item, and aggregate, we dedicate, dread mother, all to thee. Protectress, absolute thou, bulwark of all, for well we know that while thou givest each and all, generous as God, without thee neither all nor each, nor land, Home, nor ship, nor mine, nor any here this day secure, nor aught, nor any day secure. Amen. that's our show for this week. And next week, we'll have Milton Berle, Rosemary Clooney, Jimmy Durante, Frank Lovejoy, Gordon McRae, Ethel Merman, and others. And, of course, our very own Meredith Wilson and the big show, and Chorus. Until then, may the good Lord bless and keep you by the near or far away Judy.
6: May you find that long-awaited golden day
5: Joan? May your troubles all be small ones And your fortune ten times ten Lisa?
6: May the good Lord bless and keep you Till we meet again Portland? May you walk with sunlight shining And a bluebird in every Herb?
3: May there be a silver lining back of every cloud you see. Dennis? Fill your dreams with sweet
10: tomorrows, never mind what might have
8: been. may the good Lord bless and keep you till we meet. Again, Fran? May you long recall each
7: rainbow Then you'll soon forget the rain May the warm and tender memories Be the ones that will remain In your dreams
4: with you sweet Never mind what my
2: May the good Lord bless and keep you until we meet again.
4: May the good Lord bless and keep you
2: Good night, darlings, and Godspeed to our armed forces all over the world who hear these broadcasts
0: each week. Coming up, Phil Harris and Alice May Show. Hear on NBC.